The Narrator with Gregory Kong. Hi guys, to those of you who are listening to us for the very first time, uh, welcome to this podcast. And to those of you who have been listening to us since last week, I'd like to extend my greatest gratitude to all of you uh, for supporting me all this while. So before we proceed to today's story, I would like to uh, make an announcement. That is, uh, our podcast is now available on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and of course, last but not least, Spotify. So there are six platforms in total uh, from which you can listen to this particular podcast. So just search The Narrator with Gregory Kong, and I do believe that you'll pop up, and please do listen. Yeah. So... What we have done last week uh, was a story on a group of five persons who actually went in to ex- uh, explore a particular um, abandoned mansion. And um, they didn't expect that when they came out, they had another person with them. So what happened to them after that? Well, in a car, well, that would be up to your imagination, okay? Because... At the time of writing, I also don't know how would the story actually end. But uh, let's just keep it hanging there and I'll leave it to you to imagine. All right. So on uh, so coming to today's story, now, comparatively to last week, uh, most of you would have said that last week there is a, an acknowledgement that ghosts and all these spirits do exist around us. Okay, I can say that we can neither acknowledge nor refute that uh, these creatures, these entities do exist around us. Okay, so I'm not going to dispute that. Just leave it to you. This is up to your minds to imagine. But um, today's story is about how some people would have abused um, these entities' existence. How are they able to abuse it and only take it for personal gains to their own advantage? So if you guys are still a bit skeptical and a bit confused, it's okay. Once you listen to the story, I do believe that uh, you guys will be able to get an idea of what was I talking about just a while ago. So this story, well, no doubt is slightly longer than last week. So I might split it into two episodes. We'll see how if the time permits, then obviously you'll be able to get the full story by today. But if not, then we shall leave it till next week, part two. Okay, so whatever it is, let's get started, guys, and sharpen your ears and let's get going. Ayman, a person known for his notorious interest in paranormal hunting, which nearly made him lose his life after a floorboard of an abandoned bungalow in which he was exploring collapsed underneath him, plunging almost two stories. However, that did not shake Ayman ever, even a little bit, for he had worse experiences narrated to him by his fellow colleagues. The thirst for knowledge and his nosy personality made him suited naturally for this job. Only the toughest would survive. However, He was doing this for a good cause too, by raising money for the needy. He laid out his map before Farhan, Dave and Paul, Ayman's most trusted associates in this field. The group stood there surrounding a table on which the map was laid, clearly marked out with places where no hunters had gone before, 
or plants which were abandoned halfway after their safety was compromised. Under an oil lamp which Ayman took from an abandoned shop house during one of his expeditions, quite a lot was put in to refurbish the lamp, in terms of spare parts and of course financial investments. Dave's eyes twinkled as he scanned the map, going by the distance. He reckoned that the ones deep in the jungles ought to be explored, since many wouldn't want to go due to transportation issues. Going off the beaten track would require good and compatible four-wheel drives, but that was settled almost instantaneously as Paul had one sitting under his porch. Farhan, the quietest among them, had his attention fixed upon the cool gadgets which Ayman owned, all propped up against the wall of his garage. Strange that Ayman built one of those although garages were seldom seen in this part of the world. That was because Ayman will have band members over during his off days and the garage will be their practice venue, literally turning themselves into a garage band. No spirit which might have followed Ayman home could withstand the loud crashes on the drums which he really didn't care whether they would fall apart at any time. He wanted to build a basement to accommodate the Skelters, a name coined from the Beatles' Helter Skelter, with Paul McCartney at the vocals. But after the area was surveyed, the ground was deemed too soft for a basement, and risks of caving in were high. As a result, the Skelters would rock their way in the garage itself. Obviously, not all neighbours were amazed and amused. Regardless of what others thought of him, the bachelor Ayman couldn't care much. He just smiled, and be decent to passing neighbours. No need for fist fights or whatsoever, although he himself was a karate black belt fighter and hit the gym quite regularly. Coming back to the four guys standing under the fading light from the oil lamp, they were still standing there clueless, their eyes wandering aimlessly around the map. Just then, Paul received a phone call from one of his followers on YouTube. The young Paul was the mouthpiece of the four, keeping the internet updated with whatever adventures they were up to. Thus far, almost 50 expedition videos had been uploaded to his channel. He would receive feedbacks every now and then via the comment section. The guys too were bounded to be disappointed with the few dislikes they received, but thankfully, the number of likes exceeded the former all the time. How great would it be if Paul could track the individuals who clicked the thumbs down? They were either out of their minds or couldn't spare a thought in thinking about how much efforts were put in. Hunched in front of his laptop almost every night, piecing the videos together. On the other hand, some of the loyal followers will call up Paul, frantically announcing that they saw something caught on camera which Paul might have missed during editing. At one point, just as he was pointing the camera to a mirror during one of his expeditions, the camera blurred, so it was thought to be a glitch. But people who went even deeper replayed the scene umpteen times, zooming in and out, utilizing a cutting-edge forensic tool to analyze the two-second glitch. And guess what? One night, just as the four were about to leave Ayman's house after their monthly budget meeting and post-mortem, a car screeched to a halt in front of Ayman's garage, and a young chap blasted out of the Honda Jazz almost tripping himself over the curb with a laptop under his armpit 
With an air of excitement but also urgency, he identified himself as a follower of Paul's channel, and he produced what he could make out behind the distorted footage. What appeared to be a picture of a young girl dressed in white, half visible, can be seen smiling into the mirror. Farhan, for the first time in his life, jumped. So did Dave. Paul was sure that the guy didn't re-edit them to make himself into an accidental hero. But that scene was raw, genuine, and unaltered. As a result, Paul wondered whether tonight's call was another of this kind, citing that their expedition of exploring an old jailhouse was uploaded onto the net just hours earlier, and there will soon be a throng of messages and telephone calls from excited followers to reveal what Ayman described as, quote, an investigation of an investigation, unquote. Seriously, without the support base they now had, it was impossible to crack mysteries after mysteries. This call, yes, no doubt was from a follower, but this time it wasn't the stereotypical one, but a suggestion that the team should go explore an abandoned water theme park at the fringes of town. Paul shot a puzzled look at a tree, who were also listening carefully to the conversation put on loudspeaker. They never heard of a theme park at the area, let alone an abandoned one. Paul asked her whether she might have mistaken the theme park's location, but she gave them the assurance that it wasn't a prank. To prove her case, she even sent the GPS coordinates of the park to Paul. They thanked each other and hung up. It was after dinner and the band was about to start their practice. As Paul keyed in the coordinates, Ayman was already plugging in his bass guitar, tuning it and rifting up the amps. Although a drummer in the band himself, Ayman had his hands on every instrument. Fearing that this place would be a madhouse in a few minutes' time, Paul searched for the area and was directed to a patch of jungle. He then told the rest of the team to come forward, including Ayman, who was mashing away the cymbals to shut up and come to him at once. He dropped his drumsticks and came over to the table. They could hardly believe what they saw. A team park in the middle of the jungle, believed to be haunted, Dave, who was an okay. Back home, Farhan turned on his computer and started his research. This led him to one whole loop of unrelated information until he finally found sites with words, quote, theme park near you, unquote. He was directed to a website which his browser didn't recognize and warned him of potential virus attacks from there. But he pressed on. Not many words can be found, but a distinct poster caught his eyes. It was a family laughing, grinning at each other, appearing to be having a good time, their movements captured frozen in time. The picnic mat was red and white in color. A basket can be seen. The standard fruits for a simple picnic like grapes were also incorporated into the poster. Behind the family was probably a large swimming pool with two water slides at the very end. The rest beyond was nothing but trees. On the right, just at the bank of the Lake Kam pool were villas on stilts, wooden. 
Adorning the magnificent poster was the title, most likely the name of the theme park, quote, the floating Atlantis, unquote, in bold, bright and outstanding colors. Below it was probably the caption, come have a good time with us, extremely family friendly, accommodation and food all inclusive, don't miss out and happy holidays. So this place had existed. The name of the place sounded rather mystical. Did the people knew that the floating Atlantis will suffer the same fate as the real Atlantis? Lost forever, probably under the ocean somewhere on Earth. Thanks, Plato. Anyway, Fahan downloaded the poster. Seemed like the only one that survived, before sending it to, to the other three electronically. He then went further, hoping to find something else beyond just a simple poster. Frankly, the poster wasn't that simple. Huh? really put modern artists to shame, considering that it was painstakingly drawn and coloured, just like neon lights. Those scenes that we often saw in Hong Kong dramas cannot be without neon signboards dominating downtown Hong Kong. Farhan knew that he cannot disappoint his pal Ayman, and who knows, the poster might be doctored to deceive people like him into believing, since there were so little known details about the theme park or even due to the mysterious circumstances surrounding the theme park, it was named the Floating Atlantis by conspiracy theorists. After all, many would like to make a name out of themselves by claiming to have visited the place before and knew what happened, which caused the downfall of the theme park. Farhan continued his search until he was directed to a paranormal hunting forum which he hadn't seen before. He rang Dave to inquire, but he answered the negative. Curious, he clicked into the page and saw a barrage of messages discussing about the floating Atlantis. This could provide them with some clues about, it, about that, but he exercised caution, as this whole thing can be a hoax, since he would have been informed about the website like this if it was well known. A particular user's comment caught his attention. Quote, better not go, unquote, he said. Another one, quote, woman ghost can be seen at night, unquote, he continued. By adding fuel to fire, he then added, quote, a few of my friends went and never returned, unquote, signing off as H. Lim. Farhan felt that the adrenaline rush in him, caught by the last sentence concerning S. H. Lim's friend, who never returned. He then scrolled down and most of the comments were the same, discouraging people from going, and the presence of a lady ghost in white at night. Quote, why do all ghosts look and behave the same? Unquote. Farhan added some humor to that. Anyway, he printed the forum discussions and brought them over to Ayman's place on the following day. Frankly, he himself was not keen in sacrificing his life for an expedition with no return. But Paul and Ayman will definitely talk him out of it. Dave, as he thought, will go by the flow, so he will soon be easily outnumbered. Ayman and Paul are like John Lennon and Paul McCartney of the Beatles, Dave the drummer, Ringo Starr, and Farhan the quiet one, George Harrison, who wasn't given much say on deciding where they should explore. He knew that Ayman would assume the demer of take it or leave it. As he was driving to Ayman's house the next day, he was greatly unsettled by the circumstances he was putting himself into. There he was, looking studiously at the map. Paul and Dave were running late, so he was the only one there when he arrived. Ayman looked up from the map and 
and son Farhan with a heart full smile. Quote, What's up, bro? What you got? Farhan laid the stuff he printed the night before, covered with underlines, pencil markings, and highlights as if it was an assignment that was to be turned into Ayman, his lecturer. Ayman studied the forum and the highlighted words such as missing, phrases like don't go there, lady goes, you may die there. All these caught his attention. Farhan's intention of making Ayman back off by making those words, highlighting them, showing them up, however, unfortunately backfired as usual. It made Ayman as determined as ever to crack the case. Dave and Paul soon arrived. They fell into the garage Feast bummed the both of them and asked what was up and why the frightened face of Farhan. Ayman, without much hesitation, then said, We must go there tomorrow. Meanwhile, Dave looked at the forum too, and for the very first time, he too felt afraid. Paul, however, was excited as he could finally make contents out of it since nobody had ever recorded the expeditions there. Without further ado, they agreed to go, although one of them reluctantly at first, but he didn't want to be left behind by all the hype the rest was into. Then they made their plans by first deciding on how to get there in the first place. By viewing satellite images of the area, they found a narrow dirt path leading towards a thicker part of the forest, probably where the park was located. Going there would require at least two hours by road. Paul could provide them with his pickup truck. Now came the supplies. Most likely, they would have to spend a night in there. Camping out seemed dangerous, so they had to make use of the space in the car itself. The windows will be lowered while they slept to avoid carbon monoxide poisoning. After that, they went to uh, other standard stuff like mosquito repellent, walking sticks, a flare gun and of course their body cameras which would assist Paul in his videos later. They also brought in infrared sensors to track the movement of wild animals or even other creatures lurking nearby. Walkie-talkies will be used as well although they might hardly get any signals. The path before them will initially be covered by a drone flying overhead, operated by Dave. Their biggest wish was they could bulldoze their way through in Paul's Hilux to avoid any unnecessary walking which can invite unwanted injuries. Now coming to Paul's trusty pickup, it had been modified to suit the group's need. A kangaroo bar was installed and a motor's radio was fitted to allow communications with search and rescue of fellow hunters nearby. It was also surrounded with cameras that provided night vision in case they had to drive in zero visibility conditions or forced to shut off their headlights. Right on top of the car was installed with, full, with four powerful spotlights. The open boot behind can be converted into a barbecue pit or a 360 degrees platform for lookouts. They also brought extra generators and fuel in case they ran out of power. The windows were reinforced with a bulletproof layer plus a structure surrounding it just like how armoured trucks would look like. Wonder whether these modifications were even legal. Oh yes, the boot also doubled as an extra sleeping bunker. However, he or she who slept there had to deal with the mosquitoes and other creatures then. A computer software was also installed, providing the team with an extra source of information while far out in the jungles. The system also had an infrared system and any objects ahead will be picked up and identified. 
A beeping sound will go off if the system picked up anything which might pose as a threat. After getting ready with their plans, they were told to return home and have a good night rest before coming in at midnight. Paul got his camera ready and had earlier beginning filming while the discussions were on. Typical YouTuber, isn't it? Everything is exposed in a flash. Fahan went home nervously as this may become his most memorable experience. Dave went on with some last minute shopping. Ayman as usual didn't see anything special out of it and just fell asleep. A few hours later, as agreed at 12am, Paul pulled up at the driveway and handed Ayman his body camera. The rest soon arrived and were given the same equipment. All of them said a short prayer to their gods before piling into the car. Ayman kissed his mother goodbye and asked for her blessings before entering the car, sitting beside Paul, the driver. The GPS was set and they were on their way. Dave was given a physical map, just in case the GPS failed. As they went further from the city, tensions grew. Paul could feel his hands sweating. Farhan had his eyes shut, probably hoping that this was just a dream. Ayman was the one who remained unperturbed and barked at Paul when he lost focus on the road. Eyes on the road, man, he would say. The charred road then came to an end. The GPS signals became faded. Ayman called for the map from Dave, who was right behind him. Just then, they arrived at a guardhouse, and a boom gate was blocking the road ahead of them. It seemed run down and deserted. Paul jumped down and saw no one manning the post. He then opened the gate before driving. Despite the guardhouse, there were tire tracks on the road, still fresh on the mud after it stopped raining a few hours ago. That meant someone went in before them during the downpour. The tracks soon disappeared as the road became drier. The road, although not tarred with asphalt, seems to be well kept which meant someone might have frequented this area. Paul slowed down a little on Ayman's request, as he seemed lost, probably wondering whether were they even at the right place. It was a long and winding dirt road, but one thing just puzzled them. Why was it rather clean? There should be somebody around here. However, it wasn't lit up, so careful manoeuvring were required at all times. Then they arrive at what appeared to be the drive through ticket counter, the main entrance, but it was boarded up just like how would you see at construction sites. The hardly visible words that were written, the floating Atlantis can be seen, once painted in bright colours, everything else had fallen into disarray. There was this urban legend that the park was closed after two mishaps at the water slide when an energetic boy slid down the slide alone only to be found dead at the pool a few seconds later. The other was a girl who was unsupervised at the time of the incident drowned. The authorities stepped in and forced the operators to cease operations. The management was already losing money then and this unpopular decision had to be executed. The management was then brought to court and prosecuted. The question, however, was how were there no records of any of the court papers? These high-profile cases would have gathered the interest of local and foreign media, 
The other theory was much believable. The management just folded, as this place was too far away from civilization. This made sense. The poster might have been created as a last attempt to lure customers by dropping the prices. Taking advantage of the school holiday then, but it proved to be futile. The third theory was the management operated the place without a license for years. One day, the authorities came with an eviction order, and everyone had to leave almost immediately. They had to walk as the fence was too high to be bulldozed across. They took out all of their equipment, including Dave's drone. He flew it beyond the fence and went as high as the drone could get to get a wider view of the place. But all he got were trees after trees. The forest canopy covered the whole area. Guess that nature had reclaimed almost all of it. Setting up a theme park right there, in the middle of nowhere, was indeed a costly affair. Let alone the maintenance cost raking over the years. They had no choice but to move in on foot, flashing their torches everywhere. Paul turned on the night vision on all cameras. Ayman, who was leading the way, called out to any silent visitors to so-called make, make way. Just then, they heard a scream. Turned out to be Farhan, who stumbled upon something hard. They shone their torchlights on it and couldn't believe what they saw. A large egg with two mannequin figures sticking out of it. Dave gave it a hard kick, but the egg did not crack. It didn't seem natural anyway. On closer examination, they found that the whole thing wasn't even real. It was built in, probably part of an outdoor dinosaur or exotic creatures ex exhibition. There should be a T-Rex somewhere. Just as they were talking about that, Paul's infrared caught a silhouette on screen, and indeed it's shaped like a dinosaur. They inched their way forward, and true enough, a towering T-Rex loomed overhead, frozen in time, forever waiting to step on its prey. The models saw better days. Even the head was badly damaged by the wear and tear that they could see the cable sticking out of it. Probably they even provided sound effects last time. What a technological marvel. At the area surrounding it, the team found more dinosaurs. Some eating, some with their mouths wide open, just like the T-Rex earlier, all stood against the test of time. They continued deeper into the forest. Everything was just pitch black. Ayman told all of them to stick together to prevent any of them from getting lost. As time passed, Paul's sensors pick up even more things. They were probably approaching the core of the park, where the villas and lake might have been. Just as they approached the area, the alarm went off. That meant they were about to stumble upon something else. Ayman raised his hand, an indication that everyone should stop. He readjusted his glasses and laid before him was a row of paddle boats, all overgrown with moss and, of course, all sorts of plants, forever waiting for their next passengers to take them out for a spin. But where's the lake? The sensor didn't pick up any of that sort nearby. Dave gave a smart guess, an inference that proved to be true. The lake itself was buried over time as sediments filled up 
through the decades. Hence, there was a clearing ahead of them, as it would take many more years for rainforest trees to grow on top of where the lake and pool might have been. Beyond the patch of land sat two slides in a dilapidated state, used to be the standard light blue colour, but now covered with moss and various overgrowths. Part of the section had already collapsed. On their right, as they could hardly recognise but at least identifiable, were old, abandoned wooden villas. It matched the painting in Farhan's poster pro properly. On the right, where all the living quarters were located, whereas on the left was probably the cafeteria. However, it was now very recognisable, as the structure had long collapsed. The team then decided to split up, two in a small group. Ayman and Dave took the left, whereas Farhan and Paul headed towards the wooden villas, most of them still standing, but there was one which the portion facing the lake had ripped apart, probably during a storm. Paul continued his filming and realising that the villas didn't look as tumbled down as it seemed from afar. They rather looked so-called, quote, habitable, unquote, even now. The other group couldn't find any more new leads. The closest structure which they found still intact was located beside where the cafeteria once stood. It was the shower room. The partitions were removed, probably to be sold for scraps. Ayman walkie-talkied the two others and asked about their progress. They reported back, telling that, they, that it would be advisable to regroup themselves. They met under an old rain tree. Paul then suggested that they should explore the villas one by one. Three of them agreed, but was met with a little hesitation from Farhan, but as usual, he was outnumbered. Ayman told him to man up. So guys, we are running short of time right now. Uh, I do apologize for that. So for the second part of the second episode, I would be recording it next week. So in the meantime, please do listen to the first section of uh, episode two of The Narrator with Gregory Kong, and I shall see you next week. So guys, in the meantime, please stay safe. It is now the MCO. I understand times are tough. But um, please stay safe, guys, and have a pleasant week ahead. So see you. This is the narrator with Greg Bicon. Bye-bye.